When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news and gives you the insight and analysis and the stories in global football. Now, You've heard us say, you know, we bring the news before the news. And today, I think it's a good time just to reinforce just how much that is the case with regards to um, what you get from us as a podcast. Because today, it was revealed that Ander Herrera had signed uh, for Paris Saint-Germain from Manchester United. A story that Duncan Castles first reported right here on the transfer window on April the 1st, way, way back. Now, not only that... On June 17th, we told you about Atletico, where had agreed to sign Jai Felix. And also, on the same day, that Frank Lampard would return to Chelsea as head coach. Now, it's not all about blowing their own trumpet, but I think it's important, because you guys know that we actually, we, we do bring you um, these stories first. June the 4th, Manchester City, we reported with pay Rodrigo's release clause. Again, confirmed today. On May 28th this year, Real Madrid agreed a fee for Aiden Hazard. We brought you that. Although we actually reported the story last year, a whole summer ago. And of course, uh, on June 20th, we told you that Manchester United would make Juan Bissaka football's most expensive fullback. So again, um, you know you know what we do. You know what we like and what you like. And we bring you that news. So I think a big uh, sort of pat on the back to uh, Mr Duncan Castle, our transfer guru. And also we're joined, I'm delighted to say, by our old friend, Mr Aurelio Capaldi from Braiono in Italy. The man who makes Gary Lineker look like Shrek when it comes to handsome football reporters. Uh, welcome back, Aurelio. Hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> ciao, ciao. <laughs> uh, so um, we'll go straight to news because, of, of course, that, as we just said, is what we'd like to do. We'd like to bring you all the stories first. So, Duncan, um, I'm going to come to you first with regards to news on Marcelo and Cancelau, uh, obviously of Juventus, Jao Cancelau, and um, the possibility of both moving in different directions. Yes. Um, first off, Jean Cancelo. Um, we told you some time ago that uh, Manchester City wanted Cancelo in as an upgrade at right back um, to be first choice uh, starting right back for the coming season. They've been working that deal for a while. I've had an update on that today, which is that the transfer is close to completion. Um, I'm hearing that from uh, the Italian end um, and also a second source. Um, I don't think it's absolutely there yet, but um, I believe Juventus are happy to sell the player and take a profit on the 40.4 million euro um, transfer fee they paid for Cancelo a year ago. Um, and in addition, I'm, I'm hearing from a source close to the Real Madrid left back Marcelo um, that he is very keen on moving to Juventus and expects that deal also to go through in the coming days. 
Um, I think we'll go to Aurelio here to see what Juventus' take is on that. Um, but uh, it would be a, a fascinating move for Marcelo to go there as Zidane wanted to retain the player um, as a second choice or a, a, a co-left back alongside new signing Ferland Mendy. And what I'm hearing from the Brazilian end is that Marcelo doesn't like the idea of losing his, his guaranteed starting status at Madrid and has been looking for options elsewhere and that um, an, a, a long-standing interest from Juventus is one that he expects to be taken up uh, and to make his move to Serie A and out of, out of Spain after very uh, many years of success in Spain, uh, being named in the Free Pro Team of the Year multiple occasions, I think four Spanish League titles, four Champions Leagues, uh, and for a long time being regarded as the best left-back in football. Yeah, Ronaldo wants Marcelo and um, Juventus are very keen to listen to Ronaldo's opinions. So um, they are working on it uh, and uh, they also tried last year. Uh, they're very interested in Marcelo and uh, it's a possibility. A source from Juventus told me that um, uh, it's possible but uh, it's not so easy. Uh, but they're they're working on it. So it's a possibility. Aurelio, I think lots of people around Europe and probably around the world as well are, um, I suppose, not surprised, but interested in how Juventus can fund so many transfers in, in one window or in one calendar year. What is the funding behind it and how does that um, fit in with FFP? Um, Juventus know that uh, they have to change. Uh, for example, uh, they know that um, for this season they need a strong defender and they are close to signing uh, the lead uh, because, that, because uh, Chiellini and Bonucci cannot last forever because they need uh, another leader uh, as a defender because they need that kind of player. And uh, also they, they chose Sarri because they believe that uh, they have to change their style of football. Uh, they want their style of football to be more attractive. And uh, of course, uh, their obsession still remains the Champions League, winning the Champions League. Um, but they want to do it in style. So um, this, is, uh, this is the base. This is why uh, they decided to change. It sounds, Aurelio, like the Juventus that we knew and loved in the late 1990s, early 2000s, uh, where they dominated in terms of transfers and also dominated European football as well, uh, playing very stylish football. The, the Juventus of uh, Alessandro Del Piero and even um, Antonio Conte. Yes, uh, with Sarri, they hope that um, those times are going to be back. I mean, in terms of results, they cannot complain about Massimiliano Allegri because uh, he did so well with domestic titles. Uh, but uh, in the end, he also got two Champions League finals. But then uh, a part of the board uh, really wanted uh, Juventus to play better, in particular uh, Pavel Nedved. Uh, he wanted Juventus to play better, so he was pushing to change the manager and uh, he persuaded the president Andrea Agnelli uh, to change manager though Agnelli uh, is still very close to Allegri and um, 
first, at first he wanted to keep him, but then he had to change his mind uh, because um, uh, Nedved and Paratici uh, are two um, uh, are two people that uh, he really listens to. And so Juventus decided to go for Sarri and now they hope that uh, they can win things playing well. But it's strange, Duncan, isn't it? Why would um, an owner listen to pe- people who know about football? That just seems really odd, doesn't it, when you think about Manchester United, for instance? It's, um, it's unusual, but uh, it's, uh, you, would, you would hope it's a coherent strategy. Um, i interested, Aurelio, to hear your views on on what um, you think Juventus will do uh, in terms of replacing Jean Cancelo. So we've heard um, discussion in England that Kieran Trippier is, a, is an option for them in that position. Um, and what you're hearing from Juventus in terms of how much money they want to take from Manchester City for Cancelo. Um, in Italy, uh, it is believed that uh, Juventus would like to get at least 60 million euros uh, for Cancelo and um, they, as you said they're, uh, they are prepared uh, to give him away and uh, to let him go and uh, they've already said sorry to sorry that um, uh, selling Cancelo is a real possibility so Sarri is prepared and he's also studying new solutions uh, on his mind uh, is thinking of, um, for example, is thinking of uh, Cuadrado to play right back, not for all games, but as an option. And uh, also, um, they would have to to go for a replacement. But uh, Sarri knows perfectly that Juventus uh, are ready and keen uh, to to sell Cancelo, um, and then is hopeful for Marcelo on the on the left as well. Uh, because uh, Sari believes that uh, Juventus uh, really needs um, offensive, uh, offensive uh, people on the sides, and so he wants to make things happen. Is that is that, is that where the potential interest in Trippier comes from? Sari pushing for it and attacking right back. I mean, we know Trippier's great strength is his, uh, the quality of his crossing rather than his defensive abilities. Yes, and uh, yes, Sarri began to appreciate him uh, in the Premier League, and so uh, Trippier is an option. And uh, so I think uh, he's very happy if the club manages to sign him. And so staying with Juventus, Aurelio, um, obviously with Sarri's um, arrival um, in Torino, um, he now has in his dressing room a very influential figure, in Cristiano Ronaldo and I say that not only because he had a stunning first season at the club but also because he has very strong opinions uh, about how the team should play and also um, how the team should recruit etc etc how is Sarri coping with that and is that something which is going to continue to be the case in terms of Ronaldo's influence Uh, Sarri wanted to meet Ronaldo and uh, so um, he made the club uh, to arrange the meeting uh, they already met. Uh, Sarri um, went to Cannes and then uh, he went to uh, Ronaldo's uh, yacht on the sea and uh, they, had, they had a very good chat. Uh, also, the Juventus sporting director, Fabio Paratici, was there. But at some, to- at some point, 
uh, Ronaldo wanted to stay face to face with Sarri and they discussed about football. Uh, they talked uh, about um, uh, Sarri's ideas on football, uh, the way Juventus are going to play. Uh, and also Sarri wanted to know uh, which position uh, Ronaldo wanted to play and Ronaldo was very open. He said that he's all interested in on keeping winning trophies. So he said it's important that uh, we make things happen and that Juventus uh, win trophies. And uh, for me, it's not so important to play on the left side or on the center. Uh, it depends. It depends uh, what your ideas are. But he, but he also said, uh, um, I mainly... Um, I, I started from the left. So uh, he made it clear that uh, he would prefer to keep starting from the left, but he was very open and very available to discuss ideas and to exchange ideas with Sari. And um, Sari was very happy about the meeting. And uh, so it was a, a long chat uh, on Ronaldo's yacht. And um, now they... They got to know each other and uh, Sarri and Ronaldo seem to be both happy about that. Duncan, I'm sure you must have been on Paul Sturrock's yacht at some, <laughs> at some point on, uh, on the 1st or 4th or indeed uh, on uh, the Tay. Um, <laughs> Ronaldo continues to be uh, one of obviously the most influential players in world football so having a bit of lunch with Maurizio Sarri on his yacht off the south coast of France sounds like a really hard hard time for Sarri um, <laughs> given uh, you know I can't imagine a, more, a bigger clash of styles put it that way in terms of the way they both dress I wondered I do wonder what Sarri's <laughs> swimming shorts were like um, <laughs> on, that, on that particular day but apart from the attire um, what do you? I mean, what do you make of that? That uh, what Aurelio has uh, revealed to us that Ronaldo said he would be okay to play still from the left, but maybe he should play through the centre because obviously that was a role he was fulfilling at Real Madrid in the last year of his contract uh, there. Well, I can tell you that I've uh, I've been to Paul Sturrock's video shop in Dundee when he was the star striker for Dundee United and one of the best footballers <laughs> in Europe. And what did you rent? <laughs> Please tell the film you rented. I, I didn't have a video at that point. I just went in to see my... <laughs> you just went to see <laughs> you bump it up. My hero was there, exactly. But I think that tells you how football has changed um, and that one of the top players in Europe at the time used to run a video shop to make some income on the side. And uh, these days, the top player in Europe entertains his manager, his incoming manager on his personal yacht um, to uh, discuss how the team should be playing and which players they'll be signing for next season. Because let's remember, Marcelo and Ronaldo are very close and uh, there's a real element uh, in that transfer uh, to do with the relationship between them. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, I think a lot of people in football were shocked when Sarri went from a very difficult season at Chelsea um, to being manager of one of the top clubs in Europe. And I think Aurelio um, was the person who outlined to me how difficult it was going to be for Sarri in England before he, he came there because of his character and, and his stubbornness. Uh, and I'm interested to hear Aurelio's view of how he expects Sorry to uh, deal with a, a dimension of club and a dimension of of team uh, that he's never 
uh, had before and whether you think he'll be as dogmatic uh, about the way the team plays um, and uh, lacking in openness to change as he, as he has been in every other club of, of his career so far? Uh, I think it will be um, a very interesting experience for him uh, but um, I think that Juventus as a club will try to help him and uh, also the choice of Gigi Buffon who came back to Juventus mm-hmm. to be a replacement uh, I know that the the words sound the word sounds strange for a guy like Buffon who has always been a number one but he will go back to the club of his life as a replacement and um, I think that they chose him also to help Sarri in the dressing room uh, because Buffon has a lot of experience and um, he's very dedicated, he's very close to the president Agnelli and um, he knows a lot about uh, the dynamics of a dressing room. And for a guy like Sarri, uh, Buffon can be very important in Juventus dressing room like Gianfranco Zola was very important for Sarri in the Chelsea dressing room. He, these people help managers also to avoid mistakes. And for a guy like Sarri, who sometimes is too dogmatic, uh, this can be a great help. Another big investment this summer for Juve and also um, a big move for De Ligt, who was expected to go to Barcelona. Um, is that deal now done, do we believe? And is Delict uh, 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 is he very close to agreeing personal terms and signing a contract? Yeah, I mean, uh, Juventus um, knew that they, they had to sign uh, a great defender and um, they were thinking of a guy who could guarantee um, a very uh, high uh, value and then they could really uh, give his best for the next 10, 15 years. They really wanted to make uh, a huge investment. And um, this was also possible because uh, Pavel Nedved, uh, the man who is really, really close to Juventus president, Agnelli. Um, I mean, Nedved is also close to Raiola. And uh, for sure, it was uh, a big help uh, during the deal. Uh, a deal that everybody expects to be completed in a few days. What's the word on the transfer fee in Italy? Um, I believe uh, Juventus have tried to get him on the cheap in terms of what Ajax want for the player, which is more than uh, they, they were paid by Barcelona for Frankie de Jong. Mm. The word in Italy is that um, in total... Uh, it will be 87 million euros. Uh, But of course, this is something which must be investigated more and uh, because bonuses are also there and uh, everybody believes that also the wages of the player will be a maximum of 12 million per year. Uh, euros I'm talking net and also of course in, in any transfers uh, involving our old friend Min Raiola Aurelio 
there's a hefty commission to be paid as well. <laughs> um, and the idea is how not, much meaner. Not, not, cheap, not cheap commissions. <laughs> no, 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 never <laughs> not with Mino. <laughs> never with Mino. So what we look at maybe more than 10 million euros in commission as well. Uh, everybody thinks that uh, it can be it can be like that, yes. Because with Rayola, nothing is cheap. And uh, so that could be... As I said before, Aurelio, the um, it seems like Serie A is is taking us almost back in time, but back to the future when uh, teams like Internazionale, Juventus, AC Milan were signing the best players, the biggest players in Europe, and um, making them very well paid. This transfer strategy, um, let's just say between Juventus and Inter, seems to definitely have upped in terms of the money they can pay. Uh, we obviously have the situation where. Um, Romelu Lukaku is very much wanted by by Inter. Um, is it the case that there's more money in Italian football now, or is it just the case that they are uh, using the money more cleverly in terms of selling players to buy players? Probably both. Probably both. But also, for example, talking about Inter, uh, the new owners, uh, they, they had to deal with a difficult situation at the start. Uh, but then now, uh, after uh, the financial fair play obstacles, they they can uh, operate more freely, and uh, they are very ambitious. So they have money, and uh, they know that they have to use it uh, in a clever way. What's your feeling on the priorities for Inter at present, Aurelio? Um, so you have Lukaku, obviously, who Conte desperately wants. They know that Manchester United are prepared to sell the player because he's not first choice anymore. Um, do you see that transfer taking some time as Inter try and get it on the best financial terms? And do you see any way in which they would back out of it um, should United <clears throat> insist on the full uh, transfer fee being recovered from their, their initial purchase from, uh, from Everton two seasons ago? I think the striker is a priority for Inter because Conte made it clear that he doesn't want Icardi anymore. So mm -hmm. Icardi has to leave and uh, he wants Romelu Lukaku. I think it's a matter of time, but um, in terms of priorities, I think Lukaku is a priority. Um, on the back, uh, Conte has all he needs. Uh, because the club had signed Godin uh, a few months ago, so it was uh, already. Uh, but uh, but now he really wants a striker like Lukaku and possibly also Jacko, because the Jacko deal has not been completed yet. So he would like both. It remains to be seen if he, if the club can make him totally happy. And at the back, they've given Grinier a new contract. Um, he's been a player that people in England would like to see come to their clubs, but he's non-transferable as far as Conte is concerned. Yes, uh, Skriniar is staying and then he's playing with uh, Godin and De Vrij. These are the, the three players uh, on the back uh, that Antonio Conte will, uh, will use uh, most of the games. And Paulo Dybala is another player that um, Inter Conte would like to have, but I believe he's reluctant 
if he moves from Juventus to go to another Italian club? Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, Paolo Dybala, at the end of last season, uh, just after the Ajax um, elimination from Champions League, he had decided to go. But then uh, Allegri was replaced and uh, Sarri uh, likes him. So now the possibilities for Dybala to stay at Juve are good. And uh, he doesn't, if he leaves Juve, he doesn't want to stay in Italy anymore. So uh, for him, uh, it's Juve or, or he's going abroad. And uh, with Sarri, Sarri is thinking uh, to play him uh, with uh, Douglas Costa and Cristiano Ronaldo up front. And uh, it could be really a new possibility for him. So I think the chances for him to stay now at Juve are good. That's bad news for Manchester United earlier who were very keen to sign Paulo Dybala. But um, you mentioned Mauro Icardi who uh, Inter want to um, sell. But I understand that as a person, as a, you know, he's not um, very easy to deal with in terms of his, uh, he's very stubborn and uh, can, he, can make life very difficult for Inter if they do want to see him leave. Yes, uh, there are two problems now uh, with Inter uh, for Icardi. I mean, the problem is that uh, everybody knows that uh, Inter want to sell Icardi. And uh, when the clubs know that uh, another club uh, are desperate to sell, then uh, they're not making big, big offers. And then the second problem is that Icardi uh, is angry with Inter. And so... He wants to make things heated for Inter. So it's going to be a tough time for both and uh, it will be difficult to find an agreement. Duncan, do you know of any club that might want to sign a Cardi? <clears throat> any, any interest in you, that you've heard of? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a result of his difficult personality? Uh, I, I presume so. Um, I haven't heard of any of the major clubs in England, um, certainly neither of the, the top clubs in Spain, who, who want the player. Um, and as, as Aurelio says, it's a problem for for Inter, who do need to shift out um, some of their, their better paid and uh, more valuable, or, or should be more valuable because Icardi has a very good scoring record players to fund um, the players Conte wants to come in and we know from Conte's time at Chelsea and his time at Juventus he's a very very demanding manager in terms of having um, his requests in the transfer market met um, and I, I think it's important here to emphasise that, that he was the chief executive's choice I think uh, Aurelio can tell us that um, there was a bit of a split of opinion between the owners of Inter and, uh, and the chief executive as to who would be the better option as coach for this season because they had at least a partial opportunity to bring Jose Mourinho back to the club where he's hugely popular. Yes, uh, most of Inter fans uh, would have been very, very happy to welcome back Jose Mourinho. And uh, also inside the club, uh, there were people very happy uh, to have Jose back. But then the decision was uh, by Giuseppe Marotta uh, the chief executive and uh, Marotta went for Conte because he knew him from the Juventus times 
and um, Conte is a man of his confidence. And so that's why Inter chose Conte, because of Marotta. It's we interesting have... what you said earlier with regard to Icardi, because um, we remember uh, that Antonio Conte had a very difficult relationship with Diego Costa uh, at Chelsea, which resulted in him telling um, Costa by text message, by SMS, that he was no longer wanted, uh, which, of course, greatly reduced Chelsea's bargaining position when they sold him to Atletico Madrid. Uh, and Conte, that was one of the reasons that he was sacked by Chelsea as well. So I don't think his man management is necessarily very great when it comes to strikers. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's not too diplomatic on this kind of matters. I mean, uh, if he says... Uh, I don't want Icardi, he says, I don't want Icardi. And then uh, it happens that, uh, of course, for the club, it's more difficult to, to sell Icardi. Uh, but um, I think uh, that's part of his personality. And uh, he always says that uh, he wants to be very clear. And uh, unquestionably, <laughs> he's been very clear on that. He doesn't want Icardi. Doug, what do you make of it? in terms of Conte's personality and how that's going to work uh, internationally, given his legendary status at Juventus? Well, look, I think Antonio Conte considers himself to be one of the best coaches in the world, and he wants to prove that. Um, he, he wants to win the Champions League, and he's been looking for a club and a, and a, and a circumstance which would allow him to achieve that goal. Now, he, he's moving back in a very big salary, and he's moving back with the express support of the chief executive who's going to try and build him a team. But it's, uh, it's going to be a big, a big challenge for him because um, he has to depose a, a Juventus side that, that's won eight titles in a row, albeit probably a Juventus side that's weakened by, I would, I would suspect, by the change of coach. I don't think they've got as, as high level a coach there as they did in in Allegri um, and Inter are a long, were a long way off the, the Champions League um, last season um, albeit they should have knocked Tottenham out in the group stage and, and gave away the opportunity to do so um, I think Serie A next season is interesting Aurelio because you have four of the top five clubs have all changed coach um, how do you envisage it turning out what would your prediction be in terms of the, the final places and in Serie A next season and, and how their clubs and we have Atalanta in the, in the Champions League will do in Europe next season. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because as you said, uh, most top clubs in Italy changed managers for different reasons, uh, to be honest. For example, uh, Juventus changed Allegri because they, they wanted to change the style of football. They wanted to be uh, more competitive, but also more attractive. And uh, so they, they went for Sarri and they changed Allegri. Napoli decided to keep Ancelotti because uh, they considered that the, the first season of Ancelotti was just uh, to know the new crowds, the new players. And so uh, they will consider the next season as the real Ancelotti season. Inter... Uh, went for Conte because um, they needed to be more ambitious uh, than they used to be with Spalletti um, 
getting the fourth place was not enough for Inter. Uh, they want to be back uh, at, the, at the top and they're going to try with Conte. Um, AC Milan changed for another reason. They changed because Rino Gattuso resigned and he resigned because he thought that uh, the perspectives with the club uh, were not so great, were not so attractive. And uh, so they're going uh, with uh, Giampaolo, who is a very interesting coach in Italy, but uh, is not used to big clubs. So it's a big question mark. And uh, also Roma changed because they, they were not happy uh, to, to keep Ranieri and they went for Fonseca. And talking about Conte again, uh, before leaving Roma, uh, Francesco Totti said that uh, he had got in touch with Conte and uh, they talked a lot about the possibility of uh, Conte going to Roma and uh, he, he thought uh, the deal was possible and then the deal collapsed because Conte uh, chose Inter. So, lots of changes, uh, lots of new situations, but I think uh, the title race will be more interesting. I don't think it will be only Juventus as it's been in the recent past. I think that... Uh, Napoli and Inter uh, will give a tough time to Juventus for the title this time. What do you make of um, the links between Kieran Tierney at Celtic uh, going to Napoli Aurelio? Uh, he's a player who's been very talented and played very well for the Scottish champions, but many people think that playing in Scotland means that he's not adaptable very easily to a very big league even though he's played international football and Champions League football. But um, do you think Tierney and Napoli would be a good fit? I think that um, Ancelotti is the right man to, to help players uh, to give more when they, when they change uh, their teams and uh, when, they, when they leave their former clubs. Uh, so I, I think that uh, Carlo Ancelotti... Can be, can be very helpful. Of course, Ancelotti is thinking of uh, James Rodriguez mainly now because uh, he's, very, he's very anxious to know that uh, the deal will be completed. Uh, Napoli is still working on that deal. And um, so he's, he's hopeful uh, to sign James Rodriguez uh, that he already had at Real Madrid uh, because he really thinks that with Rodriguez uh, he can compete with Juventus for the Italian title. When you when you mention Napoli, Aurelio, um, Manchester United fans think of of one man, um, Kalidou Koulibaly, who would be their preferred choice at, at centre back. That that deal is impossible, isn't it? The Napoli, there's no way they would, would sell the player. Um, Napoli chairman Aurelio De Laurentiis promised Carlo Ancelotti that he would keep Koulibaly, even if he got a crazy offer. So, in football, never say never, but at the moment, I can't see it happening. And would you say that if Manchester United were to take one individual from Napoli, um, the intelligent one to take wouldn't be Koulibaly, it would be Carlo Ancelotti? Um, I think that... Um, 
Koulibaly uh, is also a player who, who has a lot of ambition, but uh, now he, he got used to living in Napoli. So it's also, uh, it has to do also with the player's will. I mean, of course, Manchester United is a great name, big name, very attractive name. But now I think that uh, on Koulibaly's mind, there is this big challenge that he wants to win an Italian title with Napoli. And uh, so for uh, at least the next season, I think he's going to stay. For those of you not wearing full body armour, you might not have noticed the Duncan Castle's Manchester grenade that was thrown into the conversation there with a change of manager being talked about with regards to Ancelotti replacing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, I'm sure there's quite a lot of Manchester United fans who would actually like that to be the case. And indeed, the Glazers uh, had made Ancelotti their first choice when Sir Alex Ferguson uh, retired, only, of course, to be told that uh, Ferguson wouldn't go unless uh, uh, David Moisio uh, became the new manager, um, which went well. Um, <laughs> Well, let's move to a different coach. And Aurelio Capaldi is someone who uh, has been very, very many times uh, to England uh, to um, interview different uh, huge names in the game um, during uh, as part of his job. One of those has been Frank Lampard. And of course, uh, confirmation has come, as we told you in transfer window some time ago, that Lampard would become the new Chelsea boss. What do you think, uh, how Frank will do, um, Aurelio? Have you... Have you been monitoring his progress at Derby County last season and how do you think from a, a European perspective Lampard's appointment is being viewed because uh, it's, it's, it's not exactly controversial because of his legendary status at the club but it is a risk. I think that uh, sometimes you have to risk. You have to take risk if you think that uh, the person that you choose is very good and I think that uh, Frank Lampard is going to do very well at Chelsea because he's got everything uh, that he needs to be successful. I mean, his history with Chelsea has been fantastic. Um, He has learned uh, to be a good manager. Of course, he needs more experience, but uh, he's done well till now. And uh, he's got leadership. Uh, He knows the game very well. And uh, he's charismatic. So I think Lampard is a very good choice. We, we obviously have a, a great example of a, of a coach um, coming straight from, or pretty much straight from playing, to success in La Liga, in Pep Guardiola. Is there a similar example in Italy, which is you know, a very tactical, renowned for being the most tactical of leagues? I think Jose Mourinho, uh, was, that was one of the things he enjoyed about coaching there. Is there an example of a player who's gone um, from not finishing his career all that long uh, to almost directly into one of the bigger clubs and succeeding? I think there is uh, something similar, but uh, the the history is a bit different because um, Guardiola started with the Barcelona second team. And uh, yes, while uh, Frank... uh, uh, when had uh, different experiences, uh, and uh, so, but there were experiences outside Chelsea. So um, I think it's uh, similar, but uh, not uh, exactly the same. But I think that uh, the um, the philosophy 
uh, is very is very similar. And I think uh, I say it again. I think that sometimes you have to take risk if you think that uh, the person uh, is really reliable and good for the job. And can you think of an example of someone who's done the same in Italy? Well, in Italy, um, this happens uh, less because um, uh, there, is a, there is a different process and um, also uh, the chairman usually are not so willing to take big risks. Uh, maybe sometimes they hire managers from abroad that they really don't know so well. Uh, sometimes it happens, but uh, usually uh, it's not so it's not so common uh, in Italy. Um, uh, people uh, would like make, maybe uh, to see it more frequently, but uh, it happens uh, more with the national side. For example, uh, under twenty one, uh, they they give young coaches this kind of possibility. But big clubs, uh, it's difficult. I mean, AC Milan, if you think of Gattuso, Rino Gattuso, <laughs> Rino Gattuso had some experiences uh, after he finished, after finishing his uh, career as a player. He started to be a manager and uh, he went to Palermo, Pisa, also an experience in Greece. Uh, so he had a few experiences, but then AC Milan decided to give him the job. And he has not done badly. He did quite well. Uh, then he decided to resign. But uh, it's not an example which happens uh, so many times. Vincenzo Montella? Did he step into the job at Roma? Am I remembering yeah. that correctly? Yeah, Vincenzo Montella. And then um, uh, he started with the, the, the young... Uh, the youngsters uh, at Roma, and then uh, he also had some other experiences. Um, sometimes, sometimes it happens, but uh, not so common. Some other news to cover, Duncan, um, regarding uh, progressions. Uh, news that I've heard is that Manchester are willing to increase their bid for Harry Maguire. Um, we also talked about this on uh, Monday's podcast this week. Uh, willing to increase their offer to 60 million plus 10 million pounds of add-ons. We have been a little bit cynical, it's fair to say, about Maguire's value regarding um, those kind of figures. Can you see that happening? Do you think that Leicester will go for that? Well, Leicester have been quite clear that, uh, that they, they want a world record fee for Maguire. Um, they want a fee that surpasses the 75 million that uh, Liverpool paid Southampton for Virgil van Dijk. Um, they are, remain in a strong position. I think the player, the player wants to leave um, and, uh, and he's been told by the manager that he's prepared to let him leave if the, if the money is right. They know that Manchester United are in, are in desperate need of a centre-back and under great pressure from the supporters to provide them with one. Um, and Manchester United's policy at present seems to be to sign uh, British players uh, and players in the age range or, or younger than, than that of Maguire. So uh, Leicester are in a strong, they have no financial imperative to sell. Um, they don't need to, to take the money to, um, to sort out their, their books. So it will be done on their terms. 
Um, uh, so we'll see. And uh, and I believe there's some. They they have made some moves in terms of signing a replacement in terms of uh, uh, inquiring about Lewis um, Dunk at um, at Brighton, which would. Uh, which I, I personally, I think that, that would, would be an improvement in terms of a defender. I, I prefer Dunk as a defender to uh, Harry Maguire, but then that, you know, my view on, on whether Maguire's the right player for Manchester United is irrelevant. It's what, uh, it's what Willie Gunnar Solskjaer and um, Ed Woodward think is the, is the right way to go. Aurelio, would any of the big clubs in Italy even consider paying around £70 million, so let's say €85 million Euros or almost, for Harry Maguire, would that just seem stupid in Italy or would that seem realistic? Well, mm, I think that's going to be very difficult, very difficult uh, also because uh, in terms of defenders, uh, now it's only Juve spending a lot for uh, for defender like the Leeds because they actually need a young defender uh, able to to be there for at least 10, 15 years. So I think very difficult. As, a, as an Italian, and we know Italians love their defenders, what's your personal view of Maguire's level in the, in the European game? He's never even played Champions League football, let's remember. No, I think that uh, he's a very good defender. Uh, I think that uh, he can still improve. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, he deserves to play uh, in a top European club. He's no Paolo Maldini, Aurelio. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, brilliant to get your views, Aurelio, and uh, get all of the um, information from Serie A and from Italy regarding uh, transfers there. Uh, as everyone knows who listens to the podcast, we're very European in our outlook and we like to bring stories uh, not just from the Premier League but from all the big leagues around Europe. Today marks the anniversary of a very, probably one of the most controversial transfers in the history of world football when Morris Johnston, uh, who had agreed to join, rejoin Celtic from Nantes, uh, in actual fact, uh, was paraded at Celtic Park wearing the famous green-white hoop shirt, then signed for their arch rivals and Glasgow rivals, Rangers. I'm going to ask the guys for the quickfire round to tell us their most controversial or most unexpected transfer in their experience in the mould of the Morris Johnson affair, as it's still called in Glasgow. Aurelio, you first. Is this a, a transfer which you would think you, know, you never expected to happen or that was entirely controversial in its outcome? Um, I remember Luis Figo when he went to Real Madrid after his Barcelona past. There was a lot of fuss. <laughs> so for sure that one. But I was also surprised when uh, Juventus signed uh, Ronaldo last year. Duncan, and yours? Um, I will choose a transfer which came as a huge surprise to the player himself. Um, and this was a very significant transfer. It was um, a record uh, fee at the time for a player moving to the Premier League. Um, that player was moving from Real Madrid. He moved to Manchester and he was shocked to discover uh, when he arrived in Manchester that he'd signed a contract not with Manchester United, which was the club 
he believed to be he was going to, but a club called Manchester City, which um, by his own admission he'd never heard of before. So that would be the transfer of Rubinho um, from Madrid to Manchester City not long after the, the club was, um, was bought by Abu Dhabi. So as far as shock transfers go, I don't think you can get any more shocking than one that catches the player himself by surprise when he arrives at his new club. Surely um, I'm thinking here of a, a certain um, player who, a, a Denmark international who signed for Real Madrid, uh, was famously <laughs> linked to looking like a nightclub bouncer. Surely that was one of the most shocking transfers in history, Duncan. <laughs> Well, you know, what's, what's wrong with bringing Thomas Gravenson and, and a bit of muscle into the Madrid midfield just to, just to shake things around a bit? Aurelio, you must have remembered, that must have been a, a date in your diary, you must, have, you must remember the day where you were when Thomas Gravenson signed for Real Madrid. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> how, how can I know? How can I forget that? <laughs> well, yeah, I, again, I, I, in the Morris Johnson scale, I think Gravis and Madrid was certainly one that I would have uh, gone for. We're going to bring this particular transfer window podcast to a close. However, if you want to continue the debate, and we know that you guys love to do that, then please do so on Twitter at Transfer Podcast. Um, with uh, Duncan Castles at Duncan Castles and with Aurelio Capaldi at Aurelio Capaldi. I'm Mark Garbo SJ. If you've liked what you hear, and I can tell you that this week for the first time, we have broken 50,000 listens, people. 50,000. That's how many of you love the Transfer Window podcast, and we love you for loving it as well. Um, please go onto iTunes, give us a five star rating, and that way we can expand that even more and keep the debate going amongst even more people. We'll be back on Monday uh, with more news exclusives as we've been doing uh, consistently bringing you over the course of the last few months. Until now, we will see you through that transfer window. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.